Um, for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about relationships. And the name of this series is called Alive and Free, because um, we really have the thought that captured how God wants us to live our everyday life and for how he wants us to experience relationships. Um, I really believe God designed us for relationships, and you're going to hear more about that from Q tonight. And I really think that God cares about all the relationships in our lives. He cares about um, what happens in our families. He cares about our friendships. He definitely cares about our dating relationships, and he definitely cares about our relationship with him. Um, so I'm really excited for the next five weeks for us to just... Um, hear stories of how people have, you know, done relationships well, maybe had some failures within relationships, and for us also to look to the Bible, because God has a lot to say about how we should do relationships. Um, and we actually have some theme verses that we're going to kind of be looking at all throughout this series. And that is from uh, Philippians. It's a book in the New Testament um, in the second chapter, uh, verses 2 through 5, and I just want to read that for you guys tonight as we get going. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in those verses that we're going to be unpacking each week. Um, and so tonight, uh, my friend Q is kicking off this series. Q works at Nazareth, and he is a veteran of youth ministry. Um, he was a part of Big House, a part of leading Big House for a lot of years. Um, caravan and spring break trips and all that stuff he's been a part of. Um, and I have the privilege of knowing him for a number of years and doing trips with him and serving together at Nazareth. Um, so I'm just really excited for you guys to hear what he has to say here tonight. Thank right. you, Q. Good. Thanks. From what I understand, a new series, and I love the title, Alive and Free. What would be the opposite of Alive and Free? Would be dead and maybe chained or handcuffed. Um, so um, I think Alive and Free, that's how we would want our relationships to be, wouldn't it? Um, so um, I'm excited for the unpacking of this over the course of the next, uh, next several weeks. Um, if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this. Um, so this one phrase, God, in this very moment, is pursuing you. He is pursuing you. He's graciously coming after you. Why? Because he wants you to be in right relationship with him. So you get a picture of what it is to be in right relationship with him and with others. Okay? So that's going to be kind of hopefully what covers um, our entire series. Um, and God is always about tapping us on the shoulder. He never wants to club us on the head. He's graciously pursuing you to be in right relationship with him. Uh, one of my best friends is Steve, and I understand he spoke last week. Um, we, uh, we've been friends for a long time. Our, my son and his daughter are going to get married in June, so that's pretty cool. So we've gone fishing together already, and uh, so we're going to be like this in-law thing. And uh, from what I understand, basically that's what he shared, that his life story, he kind of walked away a little bit, but God was graciously and persistently and gently pursuing him until Steve was able to come back to the heart of God. And I, from what I understand, uh, I know that uh, God used his wife, Lisa, to re-invite him so that he could be in right relationship with him 
and with his family and with other people. That's amazing. Um, I want to st uh, start out a little odd. I, wanna, um, I don't know if this was an issue for you, but it was for me growing up, and maybe it still is. Actually, my, my, my suspicion is that it still is. It might be a big deal for some of you, but maybe for not. Uh, maybe some of you have this resolved, but it took me a long time to resolve this. And for me, I had a hard time in my own walk of faith and my understanding of just life is how do I resolve the battle between science and faith? So as I was going through school, it seemed like they were oil and water. It seemed like people that talked science had no room for faith. And people that talked about stuff that had to do with faith, they had no room or tolerance for science. And it seems like they didn't want to talk about that at all. So what I want to do is I want to, something that helped me a ton is I want us to talk a little bit about what the differences are and the fact that, you know, actually they can be compatible, but there are science and faith actually answer two different sets of questions. And maybe that can be helpful for us in our understanding of unpacking some things having to do with just, an, you know, just the, whole, the whole big picture. Um, for example, to kind of illustrate this, I have a, a, um, a, a mug here, <laughs> and uh, you can actually drink out of it. And uh, um, I grew up in Mexico, so there's a lot of old artifacts that people would find from people that, from a long time ago. And so, you know, 800, 500, 1,000 years later, people would dig up like a piece of ceramic or, you know, a bowl or something. So what if this were buried and we were to find it 500 years later? Um, what would science ask about the discovery of this mug? And what would faith ask? So science asks these questions, when and how. That's what science is really eager to find. When was this made? So 500 years from now, maybe they would do a carbon testing kind of thing, and they would say, well, the when of this being made was somewhere in the early uh, 2000s. And they would be able to test that. And science would be able to, ask, to answer that question. Um, how was it made? Well, it looks like it was uh, pottery from the Holmes Junior High class method back in that early time. So how it was made, it was made by hand. And uh, I think it, this is a depiction. You know how they had depictions of, of just images of serpents and gods they thought of and animals or whatever? Well, this is actually uh, Harry Potter. Can you see the little... Okay, and this is Hermione, uh, I believe. I mean, that's 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 the way it goes. And then this is Ronald. <laughs> this is Weasley. <laughs> so science answers when and how. How was the thing made? But there are some there are two questions we would not be able to have science be able to answer for us, and that is who made it. Who made it? We don't know. Why was it made? What was the reason behind it? What was the purpose of this? I don't care how much science would like, science just doesn't care about those two, but faith would be able to answer those questions. The who and the why. And if there were to be a creator, the creator of this, the author of this, if they would reveal, boy, wouldn't it be great if, if we could have the, the who reveal him or herself to us and that we would be able to know what the reason is? And you know what? We're in luck tonight because in this room, and I wasn't sure if he was going to be here or not, but we do have uh, the author and the creator of this mug. Would you, would you make yourself um, known? Okay. Is, this, is, is that Joel? Okay. So um, we're in luck. You know, that's kind of cool that we actually have. Joel, are, did you make this? Okay. <laughs> what is it? Why did you make this? 
It was an assignment in class, okay? And why the Harry Potter? Because you liked Harry Potter. And I think you've read it how many times through the whole series? A lot. All right, I'm having a conversation with the creator of this mug, and I'm able to ask him some questions that I would not be able to have science answer. Does that make sense? So, I have some information about this that would be extremely helpful. So, to cut to the quick, to the chase, science has a hard time answering questions, who made us? And I hope you have, why would I be made? Science won't answer that. And why am I here? I mean, philosophers over the course of, of centuries have said, why are we here? But I'm pleased to tell you that faith gives us those answers. And the short answers are to that. Who created us? This is really important. We're going to spend the majority of our time talking about this. Is a triune God. You know, that's a fancy word. And why were we created? Listen to me closely. Why were we created? The author tells us who he is. I am a triune God. I'm at one and three. We'll talk about that. And the reason I created you, says our creator, is I created you for right relationship. Right out of the chute. That's why you and I were created. Right away in Genesis. Genesis 1. We don't get very long already in, chapter, in verse 26, chapter 1. We've got to pay attention to the language from the author himself. God said, let us make man... Let us make humans in our image, in our likeness. Okay, we have to pay attention to that word. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Okay, we've got to wrestle with that a little bit. And then verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Who created? God did. Why did he create? He didn't create just one, but he created male and female, multiple. Why? so they could be in relationship, so they could understand relationship. So we're going to spend a little time talking about what's called the doctrine of the Trinity. So we're going to get a little churchy here. Hopefully it won't last too long. But, um, by the way, the word Trinity does not exist in the Bible. And one, there was a time in my life where that messed me up. I was sitting across from someone who wasn't a Christian and was attacking my faith. He was attacking the Christian faith, and he said, why do you believe in the Trinity? Because you don't, that word doesn't exist. And I went home and I looked through my Bible and I went through it all. It's like, oh my gosh, it does not exist. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. But as you read the Bible in its entirety, it's very clear that God reveals himself as a Trinity, as a triune God. So to get a little bit of fancy, um, it might not make a ton of sense, but it's not beyond our reason. It might be hard to like, I mean, this is, we don't talk about this much, but it's incredibly important for us to begin to grasp what is meant by a three-in-one, one-in-three God, a triune God. Uh, there is something called unity with multiplicity, and multiplicity dwelling in unity. So this is the doctrine of the Trinity. That's the, 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 the foundational, one of the foundational beliefs uh, biblical beliefs of Christianity is this doctrine of the Trinity. So if I were to have a cluster of grapes, that's one cluster, unity, but there's several grapes, so there's multiplicity. And multiplicity, there's several grapes, but they're dwelling in this one cluster. So I begin to understand a little bit more. And as we look at the Bible, the Bible reveals that there are three distinct roles within the Trinity, but they make up one God. Three roles, three people, but one God. So there is God, the, you tell me what the three ones are, God, the Father, God, the 
and God the Holy Spirit. So there's three distinct people, yet they are one. One God. Are you kind of tracking with me? So um, here is a, a, a graphic that, uh, actually this is an ancient graphic that's a little more modernized, but this is how we can kind of hopefully begin to wrap our hearts and our heads around this. The Father is God. The Son is God. Jesus is God. And the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. One God, three persons. One God, three persons. Three persons, one God. Why am I saying it a lot over and over? Because this matters. Some of us maybe have heard bad examples of an explanation of the Trinity. Um, for, uh, some people have used the example of water. That water in, in the three different states, there's gas, there's liquid, there's solid. Well, that's not a correct, that's actually a heretical, a non-correct, an untrue picture of the Trinity because that would describe what's called what we call modalism, meaning that God can change depending on the circumstances, and that's not true. God does not change. What is awesome is that God is who he has always been since the very beginning of time, even outside of time, so we can have trust that God is unchanging, which for some of us, I think that's something that can bring us great comfort. So this is wrong. Um, God, what God is, is he's a perfect oneness with regards to the three roles, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, enough with the church talk. What I want to do is I want to illustrate it as best as I can. I have three chairs here. And I love, this is an example that came from a conference that I went to. God is perfect relationship with himself. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that God is perfect community in and of himself. There is this amazing relationship that God has Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is perfect encouragement. There is total unselfishness. There's submission to one another. There's deference. There's the lifting up. There's the praise of all three. There is this, this amazing relationship that God has within the context of the Trinity that we can just be amazed by. It's perfect relationship. So as we look at God, we can say that we can just be astounded perfect grace and kindness and love and patience. There is this astonishing and beautiful way that God relates to one another that um, has always been perfect. And uh, when God created, this is what's so powerful, God said, I want, this is my design, I'm going to create human beings, so that they can come and join me and be a part of this amazing community, alive and free, not dead or chained or handcuffed. So I, I was built to experience this. Um, no selfishness, no anger, no malice, no manipulation. There's no hurt ever. And God said, this is how I want you to experience life within the context of who it is I am. So you and I were created and invited to be a part. This was God's design from the very beginning. And yet, here's what happened. So we have the story in Genesis called the, the Fall. 
So Satan comes and he starts whispering in the ears of, of, of human beings. And he says, you know what? Why do you trust God to tell you what's right and wrong? Why do you trust what he did is he got us to believe that I could be the one responsible, that I could garner and have my own opinion on what is right and wrong, and I don't have to trust God in any way, shape, or form. And you know what? Satan won. So all of a sudden, human beings began to decide on their own, and they went off, and this perfect communion was broken. And God called that sin. And what happened is because of this perfect, holy relationship communion, there's no place for the stain of sin. So what happened is human beings were cast out, and actually there's no light here, into the darkness. And so the Bible says is this is where human beings were cast out. And we were um, basically told there's no way we have to, we're kind of on our own here because of our disobedience, and we were cast away. But God, in his perfect love for us, he looked and he said, but that's not the way that I designed it. So in mutual agreement, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they had this talk and Jesus said, I got it, I'll do it. And so they were in accordance and in agreement. God said, here's going to be the plan. So Jesus came down to earth to pursue us, to pursue you, to pursue me. And the Spirit and the Father said, yeah, you go, dude. Absolutely. But here's what happened. The price was so high our sin was so great. Do you know what Jesus had to be for our sake? He had to become sin himself. Now that was a problem. So my sin was taken on by Jesus. Jesus himself became sin. And because of this holy relationship where there is no darkness, there is no sin, here's the pain of what happened. God the Father and God the Spirit had no choice but to reject Jesus. So Jesus is on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus bore the pain. He bore the price of your sin and mine. He became, he who knew no sin, Jesus was perfectly pure. He was still a part of this perfect relationship. No sin, no darkness whatsoever. Yet he became sin for you and for me, to the point of rejection. And the price was enough. The wage was paid. The relationship was restored because of what Jesus did. So all of a sudden what happened is, the righteousness of Jesus covered you, covered me, as I accepted what was done on my behalf. And you know what happened? What got restored? It was our ticket. It was our understanding. It was our ability to be brought back into a perfect relationship with God. I had nothing to do with that original sin, but I'm a sinner. And the miracle of being restored into a right relationship with a perfect God is accessible, it's tangible, it's possible, it's real for you and for me. Oh, man. Here I am in communion with God the Father 
and Son and Holy Spirit. So what now? What do I do now? Is this what it's all about? No, because look around us. Here is how God designed for it to continue to happen. I look around and I say, oh man, hey, I have something that I want to share with you. Your life is broken. Things aren't right. And I know you're, but I got something for you. Why don't you come, come here and join us, dude? Wouldn't that be awesome? I hope and I pray that there's a little taste of that in your churches and here at Big House is where we're invited into a healed, a restored relationship with God. But you know what? Sin still exists. Sin is still out there in the world. So um, I want to take Joel. Man, as much as, as much as my heart would really like, hey, I'm going to invite my son. I'm going to invite my family. I'm going to invite my wife. And if this is Joel, Joel, come here. I want you as my son to experience this. I would want any one of you. But because sin is still kind of around, well, Joel can kind of get annoying at times. You can uh, kind of be a little selfish. He sings too loud in the shower. Um, God, he's kind of annoying, so maybe, and this might happen with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, or maybe a spouse or whatever it is at some point, and what happens is like, you know, okay, I, I don't want to bother with that because this is so awesome. What you and I have, God, this is like incredible. And then, you know, but, and, and he's annoying, so we can agree that we, wait a minute, you're, oh boy, you want me to show grace and acceptance and love and mercy to him in the same way that you showed me. This example of right relationship is what you and I are meant to absorb and follow and embody in the best way that we can. So what I can do is I can learn how to forgive. I can learn how to be patient. And so what happens is over the course of time, I pray my family, my boyfriend or my girlfriend, or people that I know is somewhere down the street, we'd be able to experience. And by the way, it feels really cool just to kind of be in sort of a huddle, and we can live that out in our relationship with God. God, in his perfect relationship, invites us into the same with what Jesus has done for us. That's what the church is supposed to look like. Constantly more and more being invited to be a part and to taste and see that God indeed is good. You and I, we are to be the image bearers of this restored and right relationship. So your Christian friendships matter. How you get along, who you end up marrying will matter. Because there has to be an understanding that that's what you and I were designed for, to be image bearers of the God that created us. So, you and I are created for a right relationship. There are these things called, um, I want to leave us with something practical. There's something called the one another commands. And uh, God wants us to learn to live this out, what I just explained, in the best possible way. And again, as someone who's worked with a lot of students, um, uh, my parents worked, I lived in a college town, live in a college town now. I know that there are just so many world philosophies on how to do this. And uh, by the way, um, God invented science. So God, in his word, he's actually able to, under, to, to, to answer questions that are scientific. So in living this out, 
uh, when. You remember science asked the questions when and how? Well, when, when am I to live this out? When am I to like grasp this and do this? Well, every day of our lives. That's what the scripture says. How? Here's where the practicalness comes in. Through what we have in scripture, there are these things called the one another commands. So what I want to leave you with is um, a sheet. How do I leverage this? How do I live out this perfect relationship? And scripture is able to help us with these things called the one another commands, which are a reflection of the way that God is community with himself. So here are a few. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave um, a couple of stacks down here. And so um, um, during worship, if you'd like to grab one for yourself and to read through these, I think it would be great. Our um, uh, church staff went through these several years ago and is incredibly helpful in practical ways for us to learn to relate to one another in a way that would reflect God's relationship and the relationship that he wants us to have with one another. So for example, accept one another. That's an example of one. Be at peace with one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. And there's uh, scripture passages to back each, each of these one up. Carry burdens for one another. So as you are, as I read a few of these, are those issues in your own relationships? Are there pieces that aren't going right because what you're doing is you're not reflecting the attributes that God reflects in his triune relationship? And as we grasp what those are and live those out, you and I are able to understand and experience what it means to live in whole, in right relationship. Uh, confess sins and pray for one another. Encourage one another. That's so important. Um, here's one. Forbear one another. Anybody know what the word forbear means? Forbear means, I love this, that I have a legal right and authority over you and you have to act on something that I say because I have authority, and yet I choose not to use that authority. I love that word, forbear. Forgive one another. Greet one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. So I'll leave these down here if anybody wants to grab one. Be good for your own personal study or reading or whatever it is. But I want to end up like this. Scripture, what I'm really arguing for is that Scripture teaches us how to live in a way that helps us build relationships. And we're going to talk more about those in the next weeks to come. To stay connected in right relationship with God and with others in ways that are pleasing and acceptable to Him and good. Good for all of us. Perfect? No. I promised Joel I wouldn't talk about this because it was too tender, but Joel and I have had to learn, and yes, his father, and he is my son, how do we live in relationship with one another, two strong-willed dudes in the same house, in a way that is pleasing and honoring to God. Um, I want to add just this real quickly before I pray. My observation in our culture is we're choosing two ways to view relationships that I don't believe are godly and are causing incredible amount of disunity. I see our culture choosing to define their, how they view relationship through the lens of sexual orientation and politics 
None of that is biblical. And it's causing a ton of fractured and broken and unright relationships. I can't imagine God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit talking about politics or what they thought about who got confirmed or didn't. Um, so I want to caution you. Uh, the biblical lens is sexual purity, not sexual orientation. So um, there's so much to talk about this. I have a ton of passion around right relationship. There's not enough time, so I'm going to pray. But I hope this glimpse of, of, of this of God who is relationship, good relationship, is worthy enough and it's foolproof enough for us to follow and have full confidence that we can learn how to be in right relationship with him and one another through what has been through what scripture has told us as far as who created us and the reason that we were created is for right relationship and god would never ask us to do anything that he himself doesn't embody or model and so that's a pretty amazing There's always a part of me that says, if there's any questions or any comments that you want to have, by all means, afterwards, I'm open to any of that. My favorite thing would be to have a discussion right now, but we won't. I'm going to invite the band up. I'm going to pray. Um, come and grab either during worship or afterwards a sheet. If, there's, if they run out, Elliot or Christina will have more. Um, this would be a great thing to read and become familiar with. Um, thanks for listening. Joel, thanks for this really ugly thing that helped. If you want to look at how he drew Harry Potter, that was pretty cool. Okay, let me pray. Father, um, alive and free. Oh, you designed us, you created us for that, and sin messed it up. Our selfishness and our thinking that we have the right answers. And uh, forgive us for not trusting you, for not focusing on you, for not leaning into you in a way that... Uh, changes and transforms our lives. Father, I want to thank you for stories like Steve last week and for many stories of people in here that as we learn to trust and follow you and accept what you did for us on our behalf through Jesus' perfect, the perfect agreement you had to send Jesus to come after us, even to the point of him being rejected for our sake. Thank you for that story that we get to hear and respond to and that there is enough power in that story for us to be brought into right relationship with you. Help us live that out with our families. I know there's a ton of pain in this room through broken relationships that are not honoring and modeling after you, but help us to do our part to forbear, to forgive, to love, to be patient, to be kind and gentle with one another. So thank you for your love. Be with us now as we lift up our hearts and may there be pleading in our hearts for you to make right what you would want to make right in our lives and our relationships. We pray these things in Jesus' name and together we say, 